The following program is part of the National Committee on U.S.-China Relations China podcast series. For more information on the National Committee, visit us at www.ncuscr.org or connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, or Weibo. Good afternoon. This is Steve Orlands, President of the National Committee on U.S.-China Relations, and I'm joined today by Sheena Chestnut-Greitens, who is a professor of political science at the University of Missouri. In addition to being a professor there, she is one of the National Committee's public intellectuals, and we are thrilled to have you here with us today. She is the recent author of Dictators and Their Secret Police, Coercive Institutions and State Violence. She also is the author of a forthcoming article called Rethinking China's Coercive Capacity, an analysis of PRC domestic security spending from 1992 to 2012. And that is coming out in the China Quarterly this September. What I found fascinating about that article is it deviates from what most people think, or what the mainstream is thinking today. What led you to thinking about writing this article? Well, first, thank you, Steve. It's it's great to be here this afternoon. You know, the the article really had its genesis in just reading the news reports that started around 2011, 2012, where there was this reporting that talked about China's domestic security spending having jumped past the uh, external defense budget. And, you know, these spending uh, increases were portrayed as massive, and um, there was a, a sense that this meant somehow that China was really strong and both strong and repressive, um, and that its coercive capacity was increasing. Um, and when I looked at some of the things that were going on in China at the time um, and that have happened in the last few years, I wasn't 100% convinced that was the case. Um, that more spending didn't necessarily seem to me like it, it automatically meant um, that China was getting more capable. Um, and so the, What kind of stuff were you looking at? So, that did you see that kind of raise raise your kind of suspicions? You know, some of the, the things that we see about um, the levels of protest, there were reports that I was reading and conversations that I had um, with people who worked in law enforcement or public security in China who, um, you know, had the opposite view, that they weren't paid enough, that the um, ministry was really struggling, um, that they were being expected to do a lot of different tasks on a, a limited budget. Um, and we also, you know, were seeing a... a uh, overall, some tightening down on cybersecurity, on you know NGOs, on sort of just a, a general what I th- I thought was a tightening of social control, and that struck me more as the sign of a, a system that that might be nervous about its capacity mm-hmm. to control what was going on, um, and so I wanted to just take a look at these numbers. Um, and see if I could figure out how we should should interpret them. There's no question that the spending is going up, but that didn't seem to me to be that helpful without looking a little bit more deeply into the numbers. And so the paper is just based on um, the statistics from Chinese yearbooks. This this information's all available in in the statistical yearbooks that um, that are published in China. You think so that that I, is good? 
it was very helpful for this this project sure um and like, accurate. like all budget numbers i you know i have some questions some of the figures needed to be adjusted to make sure that the ca categories were counted equivalently each year i you know that's that's in the the footnotes in the paper where i have questions right. about the numbers and the adjustments that i made and why but there really wasn't anything written on the budget in any right. level of detail. And so I wanted to just take, this is a, a first cut. I'm sure there'll be other people who will go and look and, and press further on, on all of these questions. And that's great because this is a really unexamined topic that seems important and that's now become important for US-China relations with um, some of the restrictions that have been put in place on cybersecurity that have effects on universities and geos and businesses. Um, so, you know, I think it's important to understand and try to figure out what's going and on And what's here. the thesis of the paper? Uh, the paper, the thesis overall is um, that I think when you read these budget numbers in context, uh, it does suggest that um, the, the data ha show us more about potential insecurity on the part of the Chinese leadership and the Chinese Communist Party than this sort of unquestionable coercive strength. Um, and what I mean by that is, you know, in the paper, um, I say, look, yes, if you graph the, the total number of spending, it looks like this exponential curve. Um, but that's true of China's budget as a whole. It's not, um, China's not actually spending more of its budget on domestic security percentage-wise than it was so five or ten years ago. So portion of the budget has remained fairly constant. Yeah, it's been between so it's by, it's 5 and 8%. It's actually right. gone down since 2000, uh, about 2000, between 2007 and uh, 2012, it actually decreased, which really? was right at the period where mm -hmm. people were talking about these massive increases. Mm -hmm. um, and so the, the paper really says, look, if you want to understand um, what these numbers mean, you shouldn't just look at the total number that China spends. You should be looking more at what they spend it on how that compares to other countries, and also what they're spending against. And what I mean by that phrase, what they're spending against, is you know, what challenges are they using that spending to address? Um, and one of the big things I found when I looked a little closer is that you know, this domestic security budget, um, this number that gets quoted in the press a lot, handles both regime security, political policing tasks, but it also handles ordinary um, criminal policing and law enforcement and judicial processes um, that would require funding and uh, personnel even if China became a sort of quintessential liberal democracy tomorrow. Um, so the budget's actually trying to do a lot and crime in China has increased uh, at the same time that you know protest petitions lawsuits have increased and, and this is a system that um, is spending money to address both sets of challenges at the same time. Um, and I think sometimes we look at these numbers and we think all of this is directed at stamping out political opposition to the CCP rather than sort of solving theft or other local crimes that, you know, we would want the police department in New York City or St. Louis, Missouri to be, um, to be addressing as well. So have, you would say the percentages then are, they're roughly equivalent to budgetary increases overall. And has there, have you detected a change in the focus of the of the spending? Would be first question. And second, the anti-corruption effort has increased enormously. Have you been able to detect expenditures related to the anti-corruption effort? 
Of course, you kind of preceded the anti-corruption effort, so that may not be a totally fair question. Yeah, I'll come back to that question in a, in a second. Um, the, what we've seen in the budget, you know, is, as you mentioned earlier, um, the percentage of China's total national expenditure that is spent on domestic security, this sort of law and, and public security portfolio, um, has remained between five and seven and a half percent of the, the budget every year since 1992. Um, but what we have seen over time is that um, the uh, the percentage that's been devoted to things like courts and uh, the prosecutorial system has increased. Um, the amount spent on prisons has actually decreased slightly. Um, the other increase has been in the funding um, uh, to the People's Armed Police, uh, which which is is increase a or line. Decrease? Uh, it's a it's an increase over time. Um, the but the biggest chunk of the budget actually goes to the Ministry of Public Security, the frontline public security, local police officers, um, and that stayed pretty close to 60% of, of the total domestic security budget um, over the course of this 92 to 2012 period. Um, now, Ministry of State Security was that? Did did you include that in your analysis or not? It is included in there. It's Even you know it's a, it's a smaller. That's, that's both foreign and domestic. It, predominantly yeah, foreign. It's sort of split um, split tasks, and as far as the domestic security budget goes, it's it's a smaller percentage. Um, you know, the the ministry itself is smaller. Mm-hmm. Um, the Ministry of State Security, as compared to something like um, you know the the Gongenbu, which does a lot of um, had just has a lot more people. Um, and personnel costs seem to account for a lot of the overall rise in, in China's budget across all areas. Right. We've also seen more shift toward toward social spending um, and as China's tried to create more of a social welfare system for its citizens. Um, and so, you know, if anything, the biggest shifts we've seen in the budget have less to do with domestic security and more to do with an increasing percentage mm-hmm. of the budget going to social services and social support. And what about does Lao Jiao, you know, uh, uh, reform through labor show up in your your studies? It does. There's a line. There's a line item there's for line it item. in this, and and obviously, you know, that number has decreased, um, especially recently. Right. It's, I was, it's, now it's, it's yeah. Suppose it should go, I guess, to zero. So you know, it, um, it should be zeroed out because they've announced the ending of it. Yeah. So this the data that we have um, that are sort of comparable to each other end in 2012. Um, and I actually thought that was a good time to end the paper for a couple of reasons. So so for one, we yeah, we we assume it's been zeroed out um, since 2012, but, but that the data stops that I have in the paper in 2012. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the Chinese government has stopped releasing this kind of detailed breakdown on domestic security. Oh, it um, has. So it's it it would be harder to extend and that why? data. And why they felt it was too transparent? There's never the been a, a reason given. Um, Are the number of protests still released? You you cite in the in the article the you know the number of protests. It used to be the Gungambu and its its a report to the state council and to the National People's Congress used to release it, but I haven't seen one recently. I haven't seen those numbers so it's not for the being last couple of again. years. Yeah. So we've the other seen reason, a decrease in transparency, unfortunately. We have, yeah. You know, and the other reason why I thought it was actually useful to, to stop the paper in 2012 is that I think it gives you 
uh, you know, it's a nice break point in terms of the Chinese political system. Right, the 18th Party Congress. Yeah, you're looking at the, the 18th Party Congress. Right. And so what I was trying to figure out is if you are President Xi Jinping, you are someone who's coming in uh, to the leadership at that point, and you are looking at the trends in terms of Chinese public security, um, what would you have seen? And I think actually looking at it, you know, stopping in 2012 may help to explain, um, you know, some of the overall tightening of social control. Because when I look at that data, what I see is um, a system where there is more being spent, but it's not clear that it's keeping up with the challenges that mm -hmm. if I was sitting in Beijing, I would want to be addressing. So it's interesting. If you were trying to do this paper now at the, you know, at the for the 19th Party Congress, you couldn't do it because you wouldn't have access to sufficient data. Is that what you're saying? Uh, I think so. I've been working on seeing if it's being published in some alternate form um, that, that you could somehow make equivalent. But, uh, mm -hmm. but yeah, the, the, the um, numbers are, used to be released in some detail every year uh, with the, um, the National People's Congress. You used to get at least the sort of aggregate figure, and now... Um, especially the provincial level breakdowns, uh, don't seem to be as easily available. They may be somewhere in, in China that, and, and I'm going to try to look at some point when I go, but, um, but I haven't seen evidence that they're still being produced in the same format. So from a U.S.-China relations point of view, what are the policy implications of, of the paper? Um, so I think there are a, a couple of things. First, I think you know, analysts who look both at China's domestic security budget and the external security budget need to be pretty careful about which things they count in which category. Um, so, for example, the People's Armed Police often gets put in estimates of military spending um, when its purpose is really more to be a domestic force um, to take to really free the PLA up to focus on external missions. Um, on the flip side of that, uh, you know, I've never seen, uh, uh, well, until very recently, I hadn't seen good data on China's maritime law enforcement assets, which are funded through places like the State Oceanic Administration. Um, and so you had actors that were playing a relatively major role in Chinese foreign policy in the South China Sea, in, um, you know, the Senkaku Tiaoyu Islands. But, uh, but that really weren't being treated as foreign policy actors according to, because that's not where they fell in the budget. And I think that people have realized that and are now um, factoring that in, but I think you know, that, that's pretty recent. Um, the other thing I think is just, you know, it's had a big effect on Americans in China that there's been this overall tightening um, of control, especially with the, the legislation that's been passed. Um, you and mean the so, NGO management yeah, law? Yeah, the NGO management law, um, those sort of related cyber Which is now being, being supervised by the, the Ministry of Public Security. Right. So they've had to create a new division. So hopefully, I mean, hopefully, I've, not hopefully, I assume it means that they uh, are getting more budgetary allocation. Yeah, I would, I would assume so. Um, but, you know, that's, uh, I think it's important for Americans who are looking at the U.S.-China relationship to, to understand what might be driving those behaviors, because um, they, they're easy, potentially easy to misinterpret. 
um, and the, the general sort of academic interpretation is that China's dealing with this from a position of strength. And, you know, I think it potentially changes how we look at it and what's effective in, in dealing with it if we, um, if we consider that it might be coming from a position of uh, some insecurity. We're out of time, but thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. This is Sheena Greitens, author of the forthcoming paper, Rethinking China's Coercive Capacity, and author of Dictators and Their Secret Police. If you want to know about these issues, read the book and read the paper when it comes out in the China Quarterly this September. Thank you so much for being with us. Thanks very much for having me.